My name is Ashley, and I am an alcoholic. Hey, Ashley. I don't touch microphones. Um, and um, I, uh, I crave, I crave attention, but I'm really uncomfortable when I get it. And, uh, that's really, that's a story. That's the story of my life. Uh, and I, and I've done a lot of things to get attention too. Uh, um, my, uh, my sobriety date is uh, November 1st, 2005. Um, that's an approximate date. Yeah, I may talk about that a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure of the exact date, but that's the one I, that's the one I use. Um, and uh, my home group is Mount Vernon. Um, it has been for quite a while. Um, but I also attend other meetings. I love, I, love, uh, I love going to meetings because that's where the alcoholics are. Um, if y'all are looking for a good morning meeting, the 7.30 meeting at Triangle is a great meeting. Um, they celebrate about 150 years of sobriety there this week on a couple of different days. So, so um, I encourage you to come down there if you're looking for a morning meeting. Uh, or come to Mount Vernon on Monday nights. We have a speaker meeting or on Thursday nights. We have an open discussion. Um, I'm usually there, not always. Uh, um... Uh, I guess uh, I'm supposed to tell you guys what it was like, uh, what happened, and what it's like now. Uh, I'll probably get all over the place. I never know what I'm going to say. Uh, here's the amazing thing is that I can get up here without knowing what I'm going to say in front of this many people. When I first, I was telling somebody before the meeting, when I first got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I couldn't get up in front of ten people with a written page and read it. Uh, I really couldn't. Uh, I would just freeze up. And I didn't share in meetings at all. Uh, the only time I talked really was when you asked me a direct question and I answered it as quickly as I could and gave you as little information as possible. <laughs> and the fact that I can get up here right now and go, well, let's see what I'm going to talk about. It's just, it's a miraculous. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. I don't have to take a drink to do that. Uh, that's, that's just amazing. Um, so I can actually say that I'm glad to be here tonight. I can truthfully say that. To be here with y'all. Um, I uh, one of the things is, is I really spend I like being around newcomers and there's a bunch of people in here that I know that are that are relatively early in sobriety um, and that's I get more comfort out of that of looking out in the room and seeing that than I do about the people that have been here for 20, 30, or 40 years. Um, so y'all help me. Y'all know who you are too, and y'all help me. Uh, help me a lot. So uh, my. Uh, my first drink was in, was around 12 years old. It was in sixth grade. Um, I'll try not to talk about all that stuff too much. Um, actually, actually, I will say this, and this is not doesn't make me unique. Uh, although my sponsor had the same experience, I tried to kill myself the first time before I ever had a drink. I'm not sure I was really trying to kill myself, but I took a bunch of aspirin. Uh, in my mind, that was what you. That's how you did that. Um, and uh, so I, I'm not sure I really was trying to kill myself, but I was, I was probably trying to get attention. Uh, but I was unhappy at that age. And a couple of months after that, I had my first drink, and I did not try to kill myself for a good while after that. <laughs> because that worked much better than taking a bottle of aspirin. Um, so that was at the age of 12. Uh, and actually, my first drink was at school. Um, I, uh, sorry, Ashley, it's all right, John, you do whatever you need to do, man. And that's about as loud as I can talk. Better? All right. Thank you, John. Um, some high school kids had left some beer. Uh, they had done a variety show at our uh, elementary art school auditorium, and they'd left some beer behind, and me and two other guys found it, and we drank it. It was warm. I don't remember what kind it was, but it was warm beer. 
And uh, and I didn't have that moment of drinking something and going, Eureka, I found it. What I, what I had was I had a moment of a secret and feeling a part of with two other guys, and it was something that we did together, and that was exciting to me, and I felt like I belonged, and I had something in common with these two other guys. And that was really my experience, my first experience with alcohol. I was, you know, let's face it, it was two warm beers. Uh, and I probably had had a little bit of alcohol sip before that, but, but so I started sneaking beer to school. Not on a regular basis, but uh, just off and on at times. And, uh, you know, when I could get a hold of one, and the other two guys would too. And so I felt like there was something I had with these guys, and I really felt like something was going on, and that excited me. Um, by 15, I was a daily drinker. I, the first real drunk I remember was a buddy and his brother and after school and their parents' liquor cabinet, and I was the one that was falling down, and they were watching me and laughing. There were three of us, and we were all three drinking, but I was the one. So this was like a year and a half later after my first drink. So, And the other thing about that is that three hours later, I was sober enough to get in the car with my dad and him drive me home and not know. I still had a scar on my back where I fell against the stove in the kitchen and, uh, and never told anybody about it. And I still had those bad scars. Cut myself bad, and, and then we laughed about it. Um, so, you know, I didn't start drinking that way right at first, but I, it wasn't long before I was overshooting the mark and, uh, and enjoying it. So by 15, I was a daily drinker. I had an after-school job, and that was basically to pay for, you know, whatever, whatever it was. Uh, I smoked pop, too. There'll be some, there'll be some drugs in my story. Uh, drink, alcohol was my first, and it was my favorite. Uh, but there's all, you know, I did what it took um, at different times. Um, so what ended up happening with me is uh, I, I got bored with school and I quit high school. I actually quit twice. Tried to go back. My, my dad is a university professor, Ph.D., and, and, uh, and I'm like, you know, this school stuff's not for me. Um, well, here's the thing. I went out and got a job. I quit school and went out and got a job. And actually, the guy hired me. He said, you quit school yesterday and you're, you're looking for a job today. You must want to work. Uh, so I went to here's – the, here's the thing. You know, I could get, a, I could get a, uh, an A one semester in a class and lose interest and get an F the next. Um, it wasn't that I couldn't do the work. It was that I didn't care. I wasn't willing to do the work. And that's, that's, was, that's my whole life, my whole life is that way. Um, in fact, at that job, I worked at that job for 12, I went to work for this guy, and there were four people working there. When I left, there were 86 people, or some 85, 86 people working there. So I grew, grew up with it, that company grew up with me, and, and I couldn't, basically couldn't be fired. <laughs> I was tenured. Uh, because I was, the, I was like the boss's little brother or something, the, the owner of the company. And he, I, I got into all kinds of trouble there. I met people that had a really exciting life. And, and, and my, even though I'd been doing all kinds of things before that, my career <laughs> took off. Um, and uh, he had people that worked for him. One of his best friends was a lawyer. He had clients who needed to look legitimate even though they weren't. And uh, these people had lots of money, and it was a very exciting lifestyle. And I lived in that lifestyle even though I didn't have any money. But I was with these guys, and I was kind of like their little, uh, I was their little guy, uh, mascot. Uh, is there, you know, so I went to work at 17 with this company, and, and I and actually, just to make a quick story of that, I actually became a heroin addict. Uh, and for seven years I was a heroin addict. 
one of the guys, these guys had lots and lots of money. They had boats and planes, and they brought stuff from other places into this country and all that kind of stuff. And, um, and so they had lots of money to spend. And, uh, and it turned out they all were heroin addicts. Um, and one of them went to jail, and he had the connection. And so they needed somebody they could trust, and I became the person they could trust. So I was the one who was going to procure it for them. So I didn't have to pay for my habit, and that's how I was able to have for seven years I was heroin addict. And what happened is people started dying. And, uh, and I kind of felt that coming. <laughs> and uh, so I, had a, I came up with a plan. Now, this is the deal, and not directly here, but this, I heard somebody share this the other day in a meeting, and I loved it. He said, my solutions are worse than my problems. <laughs> and so often in life, that is the case for me. And, and that's actually how I got here. That's how I got here. So actually, in the long run, it's a good thing. But boy, it's some, there's some stuff that we go through. And so my solution uh, was uh, geographic, come to Atlanta. And actually, I got some help. My sister, I have to just say quickly, my sister has saved my life on a couple of occasions. And I need to give props to Eleanor Family Groups because I, I don't know if I'm here without the Eleanor Family Groups. Because my family and people that love me quit uh, helping me in my disease. Uh, but at that time, she was still helping. <laughs> and she said, come to Atlanta. So I came to Atlanta. So I geographic, and I would just drink more. That's how I got off of heroin. And it worked. Or so I thought. Uh, but I went from being a, a junkie to somebody who moved to Atlanta and, uh, and started working some and just drank a lot. And it seemed like that was good. It really did, that comparison. And I truly was at that point, was, was dying. And so in a strange way, you know, alcohol kind of saved my life a couple times. It's what alcohol did for me. That was really important. You know, I've heard there's a lot of people that I hear share that, the old time share that, and I get that. It wasn't, it became kind of what it did to me, but really what, what alcohol did for me was, was the deal, and that was what my relationship was with, with alcohol, was, was based upon that. And also, kind of sometimes, my relationship with other people, what I could get them to do for me. Um, so I came to Atlanta, and, uh, and I, met a, I met a woman, and, uh, and we, uh, well, I ended up moving in with her uh, pretty quickly. Most of my relationships, actually, let me, let me back up very quickly. <laughs> Here's the way my relationships in my active use were. I would meet somebody that night. I would go to a party or a bar with them. I would go home with them, and the next morning I would wake up in a relationship. And there was, there was one of four years, one of six years, and one of ten years. And that was how that worked for me. I mean, and that was just, that was normal. That's how... That's how it worked. Uh, um, and uh, uh, <laughs> it's funny now, but you know, it was not funny for them. Uh, <laughs> it was not. Uh, they were all, they were, all three of those were dear, 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 dear people. Um, so I got in this relationship, and she drank too. She liked to drink. It was perfect. Uh, we would go to the grocery store, drinking in the car on the way, and chug the beer and go into the grocery store. I'm like, this is, yeah, this is my kind of girl. But she's, but she's not an alcoholic. She's not an alcoholic. And I am. And so that diverged. She would go periods of time without drinking. She could drink and put it down. She would, she, in her work, she could, you know, me, no. Uh, 
my disease was progressive. And over a 10-year period of that relationship, my drinking got worse and worse and worse. And the relationship, I never actually was ever in the relationship. Let's be based. Let's really be truthful about it. Uh, I was in the same space with her, and I did care about her, but I was not capable of really being in a relationship. And what ended up happening was, in a period of time, oh, here's the, this, is a, this was great for an alcoholic. She, she was a marine biologist in a... She would be at home for three months, gone for three months to Maine, back home for three months, gone for three months to Florida, back home. So, man, you know, that worked pretty good for me for a while. <laughs> she would be gone, and I could do what I wanted, and I was ready for her to come home when she came home, and she was ready to see me. And then about the time I was really getting tired and, and having to hold on and all that, she was gone again. I was like, okay. <laughs> but even that quit working because I was getting worse and worse while she was gone and having a hard time holding it together while she was there. And basically, she started to get, she got distanced. And I'll never forget one night, uh, Larry, somebody reminded me of this. One night, she looked at me and she said, I, I, I don't love you anymore. And now, remember, I just told you guys I never really was in a relationship. When she said that, it hurt. It hurt me. And it was like you could stick a knife in me. Uh, and so at that moment, I said, well, then it's over. Um, so you heard an alcoholic, and we, we get threatened, and we have to do, you know, we have to act like an alcoholic. Uh, I found out later, and she stayed for three more months before she left. And, uh, and I, well, two and a half more months. But I found out later, and talking to her later, that what she was saying that day was, why don't you try? Will you try? And instead, I backed up. And that's what we do. You hurt me, and I'm either going to run at you and knock you over, or I'm going to go in the other direction. And I'm going to go in the other direction, guy. I always have been. Um, unless I'm really, really, really drunk. Uh, <laughs> and even then, it doesn't happen very often. I still prefer the other direction. So she, she left, in, uh, and then it really, really got bad. In the next four or five years, I just, you know, everything, all the ties were off. And uh, so I had, now in this time, you know, that, I'll say this about this place that I worked for, for that 12 years before I talked about earlier. I was, I was an employee of the year twice when I was really applying myself, even between all this other stuff, I, you know, I could show up and I could do things. But, it just became increasingly harder than the progressiveness of my alcoholism, my disease. Same thing, I mean, I got to I, I got start a small business with a partner, and we weren't, it was a small, small business, but, you know, it was enough, I, made, I made enough money to, to pay the bills and buy a house with, well, anyway, there was, there was some success. Not a lot, but there was some success in spite of my disease. Uh, I have some, you know, I have some capabilities in... I can at times, through some some will, don't tell me I don't have a strong will. It just doesn't help me concerning alcohol. And a few other things, too. <laughs> um, but so, but she left, and, and I was left, and my business partner was still there, and I still had some family members that were kind of, uh, that were, I could go to. So when things got bad, I would get help. Uh, and it would seem like it was okay for a while, but it just kept getting worse. And I got back into drugs and, and drinking. And I had periods of time where I would drink. Uh, I would not work for a week. I would, you know, I would drink, pass out, wake up, drink, pass out, wake up, drink, pass out. 
for a week, and then I would pull it together, and the next week I would show up. Um, my partner should have gone to Al Anon a long time ago, but uh, he didn't. Enough. <laughs> so it's his fault. Uh, <laughs> um, so I mean, still, we've been we've been business partners now for I don't know, 17, 18 years. Uh, it's amazing. It never ceases to amaze me. Uh, there's some things I can tell you about him and, uh, and my relationship with him. I may, but we'll see. Probably not have time. Um, so I, I got emptied out. My family, my family went to Narnon and Alanon, and uh, they just started backing up. And they they got to the point where they thought I was dying, and they were they if I was going to die, I was going to die. That's not what they wanted, but they backed up. They lost patience. They got some help, and they lost patience with my disease. It was the best thing that could ever happen. Uh, by the way, they have a, they have patience with my recovery. Uh, I have, I don't always agree with them, but I have a caring, loving family. It's dysfunctional as it may have been. And notice that I didn't really talk about the family dysfunction tonight. That's, that's, if y'all, if I had a dysfunctional family, if y'all did too, then okay. <laughs> but it's not why I'm an alcoholic. It did contribute to some of my neuroses, <laughs> but it's not why I'm an alcoholic. There's alcoholism all in my family, by the way. All in my family. I have a sister right now that. Um, I need to go to Al-Anon because of. <laughs> I need to help myself because of. Uh, and uh, and I, have a, I have a niece that's in the 12-step program. Um, and she's actually in a 12-step program because I'm in a 12-step program. And not because I ran her down and forced her, because she came to me when she needed help. And I sent her to other people. I knew where to send her. Uh, and it's not, in, it's not AA. You know, it's another 12-step program. Um... So anyway, um, I got emptied out. I just was totally, totally empty, and I had been offered help before, and I couldn't take it. Um, strange, you know. I had no idea what except spiritual help meant. And uh, I've been offered spiritual help a lot of my life, and I couldn't hear it, and I couldn't get on board with it. And so this time I was empty enough that I didn't have any idea that's where the direction I was going in, but. I needed to leave point A, and I was willing to leave point A, and I didn't know where or what point B was, but I was willing to leave point A, and that was the willingness that I had, and it was still, I was not willing to go to any length necessarily, but I was willing to do something, and that's what I showed up with, and I, so I borrowed the money uh, to go to treatment, and uh and showed up in treatment. Never been to a meeting about Cox Anonymous in my life. I've been to two NA meetings, and I'm not disparaging that community at all, but I scored in the parking lot of both those meetings. <laughs> uh, I, I, that has nothing to do with the NA, and it, believe me, I've been to some NA meetings. I, got, I, I, I appreciate any 12-step program, but I, 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 you know, I will find my people. Here and you know, both ways. I know how to do that. So it was, it was about how I was showing up, not about what was there. Because the solution was there, but I wasn't looking for it. Right? That's the deal. Um, so I got here, and, uh, and I came to treatment, and, uh, um, and uh, I, I, was, I wasn't quite, I don't know what I was doing. But uh, anyway, I, 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 about my fifth week in treatment, um, I went home with another guy, and it turned out, there's, there was a place to get drugs right around. I didn't even have to hit the street. I could walk through my backyard, jump a fence, and, and cop. You know? 
and, and people knew that in the treatment center. And I took a guy with me, and I this is now this I'm not going to fault him, but this is this is again this is two sick minds together, right? This is how this works: two sick minds together. And uh, we're removing some stuff so that I could rent my house out because I couldn't pay them. I couldn't pay the note and be in treatment. And, and I didn't know what I was thinking, but anyways, it was apparent to me I was going to be there for a while. <laughs> And, uh, and we're there, and we got stuff straightened away, and he turned to me and he said, didn't, didn't you say there's a crack house around here? And I was like, yeah, it's just over there. Ten minutes later, I was going through the backyard and jumping the fence and going to the crack house. Now, I wasn't thinking about that crack house where we were there until he said something. When he said something, boom. And I immediately started going, wow, I wonder how that would work. You know, and we started feeling each other out, and it took about ten minutes before how much money we got. So I relapsed, but nobody knew except for him. And, and then I actually I did it again. I did it another time. So I'm coming to meetings, and I'm, I'm in this treatment center, and I'm doing all this stuff, but but I smoke crack. <laughs> that's that's how I do it. See, that's that's my that's left to my own. That's how I do it, right? Um, my best thinking kept me from here, getting here a long time. And then when I was here, my best thinking got me in the basement smoking crack. Um, so I had an experience, and, and I don't, I don't, I don't know. I didn't even realize how much of an experience this was until hindsight. But so I'm going to do it again a third time. And I'm in the basement of my house, and uh, and I'm sitting there getting ready to do what it is that I do. And I just have a moment; it sort of comes on me. So I've been sitting in meetings, listening to y'all, right? I've been sitting in this treatment center, listening in feeling school. <laughs> listening to, uh, getting in touch with my feelings and all this stuff. And I have this moment. So I think, you know, I believe that, I believe Bill Wilson had a white light experience. I'm not talking about a white light experience here. I'm talking about experience. But he had a white light experience in Towns Hospital. There was a bunch of stuff that happened before that, Right? I, I, my, my personal opinion is Bill was getting ready for that experience, and he was getting ready with it by not by doing stuff that didn't work. But he was also listening to some people, and he'd gone to some Oxford group meetings, and he'd been talking with Debbie before he had that. So he was looking for something, and I think he was trying to change, but he didn't know how to and all that stuff, and he had experience. Well, mine wasn't that kind of experience, but it was an experience. It was a spiritual experience, because I'm standing there, and I've got everything I need to go in this grungy, dark really not a good spot and the first step settled on me at that moment and I had this moment of knowing that I couldn't do this my way and it wasn't that I can't smoke this crack it was that I can't not smoke this crack it was that and, and I had there are all these people that are trying to help me that have these resources and all this stuff has been set in place and there are these people that have been telling me that this can work. And where am I? I'm in this place getting ready to do this. <laughs> and that's, I'm, power, I'm powerless. I'm powerless. I can't seem to do it any other way. So I had a moment, and it was like, and I said out loud to myself, I can't do this. And then I said, I think the first time I've ever said a real prayer from my heart in my life, and I said, help me. I said it out loud. And at that moment... I put, there's these big wide cracks in the floor of my basement, and I put just everything I had, and I just sort of dropped it down the cracks, and I walked out of the basement. Um, that was a spiritual moment. Make no mistake about it. Um, 
I'd never been able to do that before. Before it would have been, I'll just do this and I won't, and I'll stop. I won't do it again, but I've got this right here, I'll do it. And that was something tangible. That was an experience that I'd never had before. And the only difference was, is I felt something. I felt, strangely enough, you guys get this, I felt that I can't do this. And I asked for help and I was able to do it. So I had that experience. Problem was, I had a secret. Right? So, and I have fear. I'm going to talk about fear a little bit, hopefully, before fear in my life. Um, and what I'll talk about right now. So I had fear um, that I can't tell the people in the treatment center because I get kicked out. And if I get kicked out, then I'm doomed. So in my, in my mind, the only way this will work is this way. So I don't have a real faith yet, right? I don't have any faith. I, I just have a, I have a, a degree of willingness. <laughs> but it's still a half measure because it's, I'm going to do it my way. But I recognize, so I'm getting better a little bit, guys. You know, something is happening, but I'm still in the effing way, right? So I'm getting, there. this went on for a period, this went on for seven and a half months or more. And I'm getting better and I'm getting worse at the same time. I don't know if you guys can get that, but I'm going to meetings and I'm running around like crazy and I'm trying to do all the right stuff except for the stuff that I feel I'm fearful of and I can't do. And I'm getting sicker inside. But I'm, I'm looking better, and I'm doing all these right things. And everybody's going, man, you were doing so good. And I'm like, whoa. That doesn't feel good. Let me try harder. <laughs> um, and uh, so finally, one morning, I just woke up. And I would do these things like this. I would say, well, I'll wait until I get out of Mar, and then I'll tell them after I get out. And that would make me feel better for my week. I'd say, okay, that's what I'm going to do. That's my plan. And they would be like, no, nah, that's not going to work. Um, so eventually, and so in the, in the meantime, the steps-wise, guys, you know, and I did a four-step. Well, well, my sponsor told me the only way you can do it wrong is to not do it or leave something off that you know you should have on there. And, you know, that's what I did. Uh, when I went back and told him, he said, you know, you told me stuff that most people would go, we really have a hard time talking about. And you didn't tell me the thing that you really needed to tell me. You see how your perspective is twisted? <laughs> you, you, you know, that was the thing that really was going to get you, and that's the thing you kept a secret. So you may not be the best person to judge what you need to talk about once you don't. You should probably just talk about it all. <laughs> and I'm like, God, ah, I can't really argue with you. you got a good point. Um, so I got up that morning, and I knew that I was, I was done that morning. You know, I, I have... In my life, there's, there's a series and a practice of surrenders. I don't know how well I surrender. The only thing I think I have surrendered at this point in my life, 100%, is the compulsion and the obsession to drink and use, use drugs. I, I think that's the only thing that I have 100% surrendered. And I have to do that on, I just have to do that over and over and over again. But I don't have that today. I, I've given that to my God. Um, but other stuff I don't know. So there was a practice of surrender, and one of those practices of surrender was to go to the treatment center and say, here's what I did. And believe it or not, I was at a point where I was like, I was okay. I wasn't perfectly okay, but I was more okay than I wasn't. And they did kick me out. So the thing I feared the most happened. So here's the fear thing again, Jen. So I've got this secret, and I can't tell you. So I'm being ruled by that fear. So I'm trying to manage everything. And trying to, and the fear is ruling me, and I'm not doing what I should do, and I'm holding on tight. 
And I spend all these months and months and months wrestling with this thing, wrestling with it, wrestling with it, fearful as hell, kind of secret. I can't be who I am around you guys. On and on and on and on and on. And then when I finally do a surrender and I come forward with it, what happens is nothing is infinitesimal compared to the stuff I went through struggling with the fear. When I let go, surrendered, and went and said, here it is, and then they kicked me out the thing I was afraid it was going to happen, I was okay. And I could stay sober. So the thing I feared the most was really not that bad at all. It was all the stuff that I did holding on to that fear that was so uncomfortable and terrible. That's a repeat, repetitive theme in my life. <laughs> it happens in different ways, and it's probably going to happen again. Um, I hope it just doesn't to that degree. Um, I hope I get, to, I, I get to change how I am with that in my relationship with that fear today. Um, I don't know. It remains to be seen. Uh, um, so they kicked me out and they said, they suggested that you go to this other halfway house. And I'm thinking, here I am. I just got kicked out for, for breaking rules and being dishonest. And I'm going, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, I've been here for all this time. And, and three different people, my sponsor, my counselor, and the guy who runs the place, they said, you've never committed to anything that stuck it out your whole life. And we're talking six months. We think you should do it just because you need to commit to something. And you're in a position and a point where commitment would really be good for you. And so I said, okay, I'll do it. A little surrender. I said, I'll do it. A practice of surrender. I was not okay with it, but I said, I'll do it. My sponsor said to me one time, I was talking about things I didn't want to do. He said, are you doing them? And I said, yeah. He said, then you must want to do them a little bit more than you don't. And that's it. And I'm like, wow. That's pretty cool. If I think about it that way, that's okay. And I quit thinking about, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this. And I start thinking about, wow, I want to do this a little more than I don't. It's like, wow, that's totally different. Totally different outlook. That's helped me so much. Um, so I went to this other place, and, and nobody over there wanted to get sober. Now, that was my impression. My impression. So I'm the guy who just got kicked out of this place, and I come to a new place, and I'm immediately going, man, these guys suck. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my you know that's where I come from and uh, and 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 they were they were they were being a little sideways and, and a bunch of people got kicked out because I said I'm telling I'm going to tell the truth um, and when you guys don't come home at night I'm going to tell somebody because I said I wrote on a piece of paper when I came in I signed something I said this is what I'm going to do and these people told me I should make a commitment I should stick to it and it's going to be unpopular but I don't know what else to do so the guy who's really worried about how people view him. Somehow or another, all of a sudden, is able to do things that he knows is going to upset people around him and people he's living with, and he's able to do it anyway. And I'm praying about it, and I'm asking for help. Help me be okay with this. Um, at that time, I wasn't praying for them. Uh, that was the best they could do. I was praying, help me be okay with these things that I feel like I need to do. And I was. And uh, not, not comfortable all the time. The really cool thing happened when I left that place. People that I thought didn't. Here's another thing. One of the counselors said one time while I was there, he asked me to come help him with a new guy who was just coming in and help him get settled. And when we were there, he said to the guy, and this is actually, the guys around here don't like him because he's a big butt dunker. And I was like, dude, man, why would you tell the guys nobody around here likes me? Because <laughs> I'm thinking about myself, you know? And, uh, and, but when I left that place, a bunch of those guys came up to me and told me how much I had meant to them in my time there. And I'm thinking these guys don't really like me. And uh, it just goes to show you, you know, I get in my head an idea about what's going on over there. And I start creating a story. And uh, I'm not doing myself any service at all when I do that. 
if I can think about you a little more than I think about me, I'm in a good shape. But I can't do that all the time. So in this process, I'm taking the steps. And by this time, here's another thing. The guy at the treatment center told me, he kicked me out, and he said, now you can sponsor guys here. It's <laughs> like, so you got to leave, but look, this is the good part. Since you're leaving, you can sponsor people now. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Now, by the way, I, I, have a, I have a key and alarm code in my treatment center today. I got kicked out of it, and I have a key and alarm code. I don't know how that works. I'm more indebted to that place today than I have ever been. I get more indebted to them because they allow me an opportunity to be around newcomers. And uh, I get more indebted than I can't pay them back. Uh, so I get to continue going there and getting helped. Uh, if, you, if you haven't experienced that yet, I hope you stay around long enough to experience it. I hope so. So I'm working with a sponsor, you know, probably, and, and, and I, I, do a, I do another four-step. My sponsor at the time tells me, do you need to do a four-step? And I get pissed off. <laughs> he asked me if I needed to do a four-step. This is after I got honest about stuff. And uh, I got pissed off uh, because he was telling me what to do. He asked me if I needed to do a four-step. Two weeks later, his sponsor said, you need to do a four-step. And I said, you're right. And I went home and that night, and, and I did a four-step, and I called my sponsor up, and I said, I need to see you tomorrow. And he said, okay, and I went and did a four-step with him. And I don't know if it was the most thorough one anybody's ever done, but it was the stuff that I needed to get out, I got out, and I didn't hold back. Uh, it was the difference between the first one I did, which was with a, I'm not knocking the forms, guys, however you do it, it's your business. But it was just checking off on the forms and all that. And, and, and I left stuff off. And the second one, I sat down and I started writing and I didn't stop till I was done. It was like I couldn't write fast enough. Um, I was ready. And, uh, and it, was, it was helpful. Um, six and seven, I, you know, I, I think I have probably have the least experience with six and seven with any of this stuff, but I think really one of the ways that I practice six and seven the most is by practicing the other step. And they tend to, they just seem, for me, they seem to lead me back into six and seven. And I just arrive. I don't know how it works. But I arrive at a point of, uh, and I'm not ready to let go of a lot of stuff. But just to be honest with you. Uh, I do lip service to it, but I'm not. I hold on much better than I let go. You know, I mean, I do. Sometimes the best I can do is loosen my grip on some stuff. Right? So that I might be able to maybe loosen my, or maybe let go with one hand while I hold on, so that I might be able to bring in a little bit of something spiritual. Um, I, you know, I'll talk a good game, but my walk isn't nearly as good as my talk. Uh, and, uh, and that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. I'm not drinking today, right? So, and I, I can sit up here and I can say honestly, I haven't had a drink today. It's been a little while since I've had a drink, and. I notice a drink every now and then. And the, the first thing I do when I notice a drink is I tell somebody, I, well, I, I tell me, no, I usually say a quick, short prayer. And I, the difference is I'm not compelled to take the drink when I notice it today. Um, when I tell guys in some book studies is that one day I had a beautiful day and I'm riding home. I've been up at the lake and I've worked really hard that day. I've gotten two days work done in one day, one long day. Made a lot of money. It was Beautiful day and really productive. Everything is seeming great. Not a cloudless sky. And I'm coming back from the lake and I'm stopped there, stopped by, and I look over and there's a sign on this restaurant that says "Cold Beer Special." And I go, "Ooh, 
<laughs> Cold beer specimen. And, you know, I mean, it's like, just comes through there. I'm just sitting there looking at the sign, and I go, wow, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I say, you know, help, I don't really want any beer. Well, I'm not getting ready to pull in the parking lot, but I'm sitting there looking at the sign, and it's got my attention, right? I say a friend, I call up a friend, and I say, you won't believe what I'm doing. He said, try me. <laughs> and I said, I'm sitting here at the stoplight looking at a sign that says cold beer special, and it's like, I'm going, wow, it's pretty interesting. He says, I believe you when you say you're an alcoholic. <laughs> Do you need to go in there? I said, no. He says, good, then you're an alcoholic in recovery. It's okay. And I'm like, yeah, it is, isn't it? And I go off down the road, and it's done. It's done. And I, the only time I think about that again is when I'm telling somebody that story. Right. No compulsion whatsoever. I've had a couple other instances. Uh, it's usually in funny ways. My, my. Uh, usually I'm noticing somebody else. Uh, got a guy that I know. I work in his house a lot, off and on, and have a long history with him. And he quit drinking for a while. He's never been to AA or anything. He got divorced anyway. Back over there working in his house one time, and I'm noticing all of a sudden there he's, he's drinking again, and there's big, big <laughs> handles of of liquor, not in his black liquor cabinet, because I know where that is. Um, believe me, I drank a lot of his liquor. Um, but in his kitchen, they're sitting out on the countertop. And this guy's, and he's, he's all, you know, and, and I'm walking through the kitchen noticing that there's these handles. And I call my sponsor up, and I'm like, man, I'm looking at this. And he said, uh, what kind of liquor is it? I said, I don't know. He said, call me back when you do. <laughs> Two days later, I'm calling him back. And I'm telling him what the liquor is because I've stopped in the kitchen long enough to look at it long enough to notice the label. And he says, now it's about you. When you were walking through before and going, man, he shouldn't be doing this. You're kind of got it over there. But now you've called me back and I wanted you to call me back because now it's on you. It's settled on you. And you can understand that's the problem, not what he's doing, but what you are contemplating and what you're looking at and what has your attention. And I was like, wow, that was the best thing he could have done for me. Uh, another time I'm in a, I'm house sitting for a friend and I'm, I'm, I've got a headache and I go, I go to her in the closet off of her bathroom to look for some Tylenol or something and I'm, I'm getting some and I look and there's all these pill bottles in there. I'm like, oh, what's this? And I look and there's like, there's one of those ones that I used to like. And I'm going, she shouldn't have this in here. <laughs> what is this doing in here? And then the next thought that came is, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to be here. Not this. I'm the one that's in the wrong place. Put it back and leave. It's none of my business what she's doing. And it's like that quickly the thought came from what's she doing to what am I doing? And that's not me, right? That's you guys who've gotten me to the point where that just sort of happens. Not 100% of the time and not that quick, but that time. It's not that my process was what do I do next? It just showed up. Just showed up. I am blank. What am I doing? Um, I love that. And that's sort of a thing that happens around here. We keep practicing this thing. This stuff shows up. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I tend stuff. I don't. Man, I got so many nice stuff stories. I can't even begin. I mean, I've been handcuffed. I've been handcuffed in sobriety and had a woman who I stole from come across the street and tell the policeman that I was supposed to be where I was and that she would vouch for me. Now, how does that happen? Right? And I was where I was supposed to be, and I was in the right, and all that stuff, but the cop didn't know that. Uh, and I had warrants out at the time. I was still straightening stuff up, and I remember the cop asked me, 
But my, I didn't have any ID, all this stuff. Just, you all just have to take that face value. <laughs> and he asked me my name, and I could have told him anything, and I told him my real name. And I could hear my sponsor, and I told him my real name. And he asked me if I had any warrants, and I said, I have every reason to believe that I do. And he said, ooh, tell me about that. <laughs> and I did, and I told him exactly about it, and he didn't even call it in. I have his card in my wallet today. I carry it with me. He gave me his card. He said, when you get that straightened out, call me and let me know. And I did. I did. Um, they were bitch warrants. Because, you know, they were warrants. He didn't even call me. And I didn't tell him I was an alcoholic or anything. So I told the truth, and that's what happened. I'm like, man, I think I can do this telling the truth thing. You know? <laughs> it's possible, you know? So that was like, that helped me. I don't know why the guy did that, you know? But there it was. I could go on and on about my stuff stuff. And one at a time, um, amazing, amazing. The night stuff is just an amazing thing when you're willing and you will lean into something. Now. I still have one I haven't done, and I have some ones with families that I'm doing. I, let me tell you, my dad, I, I got to do night stuff with my dad. My dad died not that long afterwards. Uh, I'm still working on my mom since she's still alive. I got clean with my dad before he passed. And I'm still, I have the opportunity to still keep working on the deal with my mom. Um, I'm not okay with my mom. My mom is just who she is. And I love my mom, but I struggle with my mom, too. Um, and so I get to work on that. I get, to work, I, get to, I get to help be part of where my mom lives. I get to participate in her having a place to stay. And I get to go over and do things for her. Uh, some days I have a good heart when I do it. Some days I don't. But I get to go do it. And, and that's okay. That's good. Ten step, uh, you know, I don't know. I do okay with the ten step. But, um, I could probably do better. And hopefully I will. And that's a good thing. There's room for improvement. Uh, I get, man, eleven step, God knows, man, you know, I just... Um, there's a line where it says, make use something about make use of what religions have to offer. I like to think that I do. I'm not a member of any tradition or any faith, but I take a lot from a lot of different places. Um, and I have, a, I have a concept of God, which is I don't know, but I have evidence of God. And I like to participate, and I like to, I like to cooperate with what I think of as grace. So I like to pray, and I like to try to cooperate with my prayers. Um, that's the best way I can describe it. Um, and sometimes I do it better than others. Um, my sister, who I think drinks too much and has caused all kinds of grief in her family and my family, my prayer, my 11-step prayer is help me be a better loving brother, not change her. I think God's will is that I be a better loving brother. And so I pray for that, the power to do that. And that's an 11-step prayer for me. Uh, I didn't show up with that. I showed up with Chief Ronald fix her or change her. And I don't have to do that, although I still want to sometimes. Um, nothing with so much as ensure immu uh, immunity from drink or something along those lines is intensive work with her alcohol. Um, I'm blessed with the ability to do that. And, and all of it, it's not all sponsorship roles, but I've been helped and taken to the steps by a lot of guys. Uh, and the problem, though, is if I just rely upon that, I'm in trouble. That, that line, it says this, this works when other measures fail or something like that. That tells me that I'm supposed to be doing some other stuff, too. Um, it kind of sets the table for that. 
And when I'm just trying to sponsor, I get way more me, less God, way more me, less God. And I get all in the way. When I can get back out of the way, things work much better. And when I just when I'm staying sober and I'm trying to be available, um, it works works much better. The accept spiritual health thing is really huge for me. Um, I thought, as I said earlier, I thought accept spiritual health was this package and, and it involved certain traditions and certain things that you had to do, and it involved other people's conception of God. Um, I found out I was the one who was setting all the terms. You know, I thought you were setting the terms. I thought there was some church that was setting the terms, but I was the one who was setting the terms all the time. And I did, when I could let go of that and open up, it's, it's really wild how things, how things change. And so a lot of times today, man, accepting spiritual help for me is stopping and listening to somebody else. Um, mopping a floor can, be, can really be in the morning. Mopping a floor in the morning when it's quiet. Before the alcoholics show up, and I'm getting all the coffee stains off the floor, and I'm quiet, and I'm just kind of going along, and it's like, man, this is a good group, and I'm accepting spiritual help. Uh, and it's not like I set out to go, I'm going to go accept spiritual help. It's like it happens, right? It just sort of happens. It's pretty cool. Um, so uh, I'm going to read just something real quick. You know, it's amazing. I, I, I had an alcoholic say something to me one day about this. I really don't like, I really don't like getting up in front of people. I really don't. I'm not that comfortable with it. But I get up here and I start talking, and guys, I could talk for another hour. You know, I, I mean, I really could, and it's amazing. It's, it's this is not me, and it is me. It, it never ceases to amaze me that that happens. I'm the guy. I'm always in the back. You guys see me in a meeting. I'm going to be in the back because I don't like being right in the middle with you guys. I like being on the edge. It's, it's always been that way. So, but I'm not drinking while I'm on that edge. Um, I'm just going to read something real quick. Let's see. Let's read this. This is from a vision for you. You're going to meet these new friends in your own community. Near you, alcoholics are dying helplessly like people in a sinking ship. If you live in a large place, there are hundreds, high and low, rich and poor, these are future fellows of Alcoholics Anonymous. Among them, you will make lifelong friends. You will be bound to them with new and wonderful ties, for you will escape disaster together, and you will commit shoulder to shoulder your common journey. Then you will know what it means to give of yourself that others may survive and rediscover life. You will learn the full meaning of love thy neighbor as thyself. It may seem incredible that these men are to become happy, respected, and useful once more. How can they rise out of such misery, bad repute, and hopelessness? The practical answer is that since these things have happened among us, they can happen with you should you wish them above all else and be willing to make use of our experience. We are sure they will come. The age of miracles is still with us. Our own recovery proves that. Thank you for having me.